Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Every Horror Movie on Netflix. It's the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick, and I'm back this episode with my friends, as always, Chris. Hello. And Steven. Uh, hi. <laughs> and a hearty uh, to you as well. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Well, we are here today to review the 1994 seven. Seven seven. classic. I think it's a contemporary classic. One might even say, I know what you did last summer. But before we get into that, before we start figuring out what exactly we did last summer, because I frankly can't even remember, uh, we're going to do our little <laughs> <I> was- horror. <laughs> I'm sorry not to interrupt, but I had the same thought. I was like, if someone was leaving me notes saying they know what I did last summer, I'd be like, well, fuck, thank God one of us does. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'd be I'd be terrified. I mean, I may or may not have committed some potential crimes last summer. I'd be like, who who is this? Who's texting me right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I would be grateful even if somebody just left me a note and said they know what I did yesterday because that is also a struggle at this point. So, I, I mean, think really, every, this is more a fantasy than a horror film. It's horror fantasy. I think, like, once a year, maybe every app on your phone could give you, like, a recap of what you did that year. Oh, so, yeah. Like, yeah. you're wrapped. Like, Spotify yeah. wrapped, except for your actual whole life. Yeah, for, for Grubhub, for everything. <laughs> I mean, my my iPhone does that if I go into photos, but it's just pictures of all my dead pets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's all uh, try and struggle to use our memories without the aid of any apps on our phone to remember what we've watched or read or consumed in the horror world for the past two weeks. I know for myself, the answer is nothing. I got nothing to share this week. I have been watching... Watchmen. I've been rewatching the Watchmen series. I've been watching nice. fucking Pirates of the Caribbean movies for some goddamn reason. I've been watching. Oh God! And I've been watching Chris's Lord of the Rings extended editions, which has been fine. But didn't no we horror. just do that like that's, four years? That's ago a or lot. Something? You're like, I have I haven't been watching much, and then you just list off like well, 60 nothing hours horror, of but none of it's horror. Oh, okay. Nothing horror. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to make the argument that Watchmen is horror in places, but it's really not. It is horror. Though. Everyone places. should see it. Uh, watching the, the the extended editions is a little bit horror, too. Not as horror as the day that we all watched them, all three of them in the same day. That was true horror. But I don't know. They're too fucking long, man. They just give me the regular regulars. Three hours. Yeah, but then you enough. don't get the mouth of Sauron. Okay, that's oh. the one. That's the one added bonus. Which, speaking of horror, excellent, excellent shit. Love yeah. the mouth of Sauron. I, I, my, I only watch the extendeds because I need the scene in the two towers where Aragorn calms down the horse. Yeah, that's pretty. That's the only. That's my. I don't like the two towers extended otherwise because you have to listen to like the the trees do like a two hour set of poetry (laughs) and music. (laughs) But um, (laughs) when he comes down the horse, that's pretty good. It's kind of like the second act of Avatar: The Way of Water, (laughs) except with trees. Oh yeah, he he went and saw the movie just so he could he could diss the the greatest film of the year. On our show. I didn't actually, although speaking of horror, that was also, I, that that's survival horror. Watching Avatar The Way of Water is survival horror. So I think that also counts. Actually, so I've been doing a lot of horror. What about you guys? I mean, watching the fucking Pirates of the Caribbean sounds like <laughs> Yeah, true. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. What is wrong with you? Perverse curiosity. I watched The Thing. 
<laughs> I watched one thing um, that I'm kind of amazed I had never heard of because it has an insane pedigree. So one of my um, project managers at work, we meet bi-weekly. He knows that I do this podcast. Hope to God he never listens to it. I haven't told him what it's called. Um, but he decided that we should do a horror catch up at the end of our bi-weekly meeting. So I told him to check out. Sorry, you haven't told him, you haven't told him what it's called. You just told him you watch every horror movie on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Try Googling that motherfucker. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I told him to watch severance on, on Apple, which is horror adjacent and also very germane to some of the topics we were discussing in our meeting. He told me to watch, 1989's Intruder, which is a slasher set in a grocery store. I had a blast with it, but here's what's crazy about this movie. It stars Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi, Bruce Campbell has a cameo, Greg Nicotero did the special effects. It was shot and it was set and shot in a supermarket in West Bloomfield. Hmm. And I'd somehow never heard of this movie. I mean, I grew up idolizing Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. And it was a fucking blast. I'd forgotten that Greg Nicotero did the effects until there was a particularly gruesome scene with a like a table saw that kind of kind of blew my mind and I'm not a big gore hound, but it was so impressive how he pulled it off that I I kind of shrieked with glee. Art the clown would have been proud. <laughs> um so check that out. It's on Tubi, Intruder 1989. Good little flick and I think it even has a little something to say about capitalism too. Like it's not just it's not just pure trash. Interesting. Chris, you got anything? Uh, yeah. Well, first and most importantly, I rewatched Todd McFarlane, like hell I won't. The Oh, yeah. <laughs> like hell you did. The like 45-minute <laughs> YouTube documentary. Uh, uh, really like a, a, a hagiography of Todd McFarlane's life. What um, prompted this? Um, well, I saw like some video of Todd McFarlane on on like Twitter or Instagram or something. And I was actually texting you about. It. I was like, "Was was Todd McFarlane? Uh-oh. Is this how he usually is, or did he have a stroke or something?" And you were like, "No, this is how he usually is." And I had remembered him being uh, a little bit more of a commanding figure, and 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 physically and and voice wise, he's he's not, and he's not what I remembered. But I just remembered his his presence in that documentary. And um, yeah, he's mm. what can you say? He's he's a badass. Now right. I want to rewatch that. Yeah. I had I I recall having a delightful time watching that the first time. Yeah, go watch that on YouTube. Uh, memorable. My my favorite my favorite line in the movie. Well, I mean the the one we all remember is the one where he talks about when he took over Spider Man, and until then the emphasis had been Spider Man, and he said he wanted to do Spider Man. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, but then he also there's a there's a quote from him where he's like, sometimes. I start corporations out of anger. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd McFarlane, great guy. Still waiting for Spawn 2. Hopefully it's coming out soon. Our capitalist king. <laughs> yeah. And then I watched Wednesday on Netflix in its entirety while I was building oh. things with Legos. I had it on. I was sort of half watching it, which is about the appropriate level of engagement, I think, for me. I don't think it would have held mm-hmm. my attention if I had commit to just sitting down and watching it. But uh, I thought it was pretty cute and pretty fun um, and pretty good. Pretty good indeed. Can I, I, I'm out of ignorance. I have to ask a question. Did Okay, so that's a Tim Burton series. Did he actually direct any? Yeah, of it? He, directed, he directed the first episode. He directed, okay. I would say, at least four episodes of like okay. the eight How's or nine his episodes. Direction thing. looking. 
Could you tell? Did it have the Burton stamp aside from the production? Design, I would say or? it was decently directed. Like you could tell there was a director who knew what he do it, what he was doing. But I wouldn't say it was especially stylistically up to snuff. Um, it's it seems mm. very sort of made slapdash. There's a lot of green screen work. I expect. I I think that like even scenes that took place in like a therapist's office and like a normal house, I suspect we're all done on green screen and you can kind of tell, you can sort of see the fringe around people's hair and stuff. So it's like, they really just kind of, I don't know. What can you say? They did so much of this shit on green screen. They do have some real sets, though. Um, but the, the production's not very good. But it's cute. Uh, Jenna Ortega, as Wednesday, does a great job. It's very well cast. All the, 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 you, don't, you don't see them a lot because the premise is Wednesday's gone to boarding school. But uh, Luis Guzman and Catherine Zeta-Jones are fantastic as, as, and perfectly cast as Morticia and Gomez. And uh Pugsley is kind of kind of uh, sidelined, and uh, they could have done a better job casting Lurch. Oh, and Uncle Fester shows up. Spoiler alert! And that was oh yeah, Fred Armisen. That I did, which I, is <laughs> kind of inspired casting, but I could see it being <laughs> annoying. I didn't, I didn't like it. I warmed up to it by the end of that episode, but I, I, I didn't like that at all. I wanted like Larry David. <laughs> who plays Who plays Lurch? Anybody know where? I don't think it's I don't a think name so. actor. Yeah, okay. but it's li- fun, you know. It's fun. It's cute. What can you say? I liked Armisen. I I didn't like, and I love Catherine Zeta Jones in general. I love Luis Guzman in general, but for some reason they didn't really click for me as more uh, Morticia and Gomez. I don't know if it's just like Angelica Houston and uh, fucking what's his name, uh, Raul Julia. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. From the the nineties movies, were just so wonderful and iconic. So it's they're they're a little irreplaceable. But when you have a take as iconic as Christina Ricci's on Wednesdays. And then Jenna Ortega shows up and fucking just destroys like props to her for what she did. I did. uh, When you said the thing about losing it, losing your attention, if you had actually been like paying attention to it and not just doing Legos, it definitely did lose my attention over time. Like the mystery, especially the twists and turns of the mystery. I got very bogged down in and, just disinterested in as well at a certain point, but yeah, it's and, fun. And, it's fun casting and characters. Yeah. And that would be kind of my main criticism of the series. Cause it's, it's a mystery. She's trying to solve some murders, some of which have been, like, it starts off with her, like trying to clear her name, sort of like she's been sort of involved in these murders, kind of like a framing, but like, she's just trying to solve this murder mystery. And I don't really understand why she cares or what's driving her. There's really not any look into who she is as a character, except she's just like the kind of contrarian edge Lord. I'm going to be happy when it rains girl. Um, so that was kind of that's a weakness of the series. And also, spoiler alert, mild spoiler alert, at the end of the series, in the last episode, she gets an iPhone, and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> Someone gives her an iPhone and it's like, you need this. And welcome to the twenty first century. And I think the writers just realized by the time they got to the finale that they didn't want to do another season writing around Wednesday having a phone where she has to trek across town to talk to characters. So <laughs> this from the man who loved the survivors getting away in a self driving electric vehicle at the end of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, that was different. That's different. <laughs> You you can do fish out of water stuff like that with a with a character, but I I thought it was goes against the essence of her character too much. I can't I can't imagine her doing her shtick on a text message. So we'll find out. There's another season coming. 
We'll find out. I'm going to have to buy another Lego set. <laughs> Are there Wednesday Legos? Oh, you mean so that you can watch the second yeah, season? I yeah. understand. There will be Wednesday Legos at some point, though, I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyways, now that we've now that we all know what we did last two weeks, let's talk about I know what you did last summer. A slasher film. I mean, come on, you've probably seen this before, right? If you're listening, you've probably seen this before. If you're listening to horror podcasts, you've seen this movie. Well, if you haven't, well, I, I had I had so. not, but I'm sure I'm an outlier. I would guess I, mostly I everybody seen it. this fucking thing. But I saw it recently. I would say I saw it in the last five or six years, and I only watched it. I, I, I rented it because I was trying to – I think I was doing, like, some research basically for Pizza Face Killer when I was thinking of writing Pizza Face Killer. I was like, I want to watch some more, like, archetype, uh, archetypal uh, slashers. And this is one that I remember being – having a large stature when I was growing up, but I'd never seen you know, because this was right in the heels of Scream. This was like when I was in probably what fifth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade, something like that. It's like this was the movie. I know what you did last summer, The Fisherman. It sounds very scary. Yeah, I saw it on VHS whenever the VHS came out. So yeah, it would have been fifth or sixth grade. It was not my choice. I was at a sleepover, and like the the kids' parents you know, let them watch whatever the fuck they wanted to. Otherwise, I don't think I would have seen it. But, How did um, it fare as a sleepover movie? It was really fun. I was not scared. I was the one who was, um, as I am in like a haunted house attraction or whatever, I was the one kind of like take, you know, anytime people were scared, I was cracking a joke or something. Mm-hmm. But it was a blast. Yeah, like every everyone had like very vocal reactions to it, especially when you're that young watching this kind of thing, which is fairly... Fairly bloody, though not as much as I remembered. That's why I was asking, because as far as... A couple kids were afraid to sleep with the lights out, you know? Like, I watched... I mean, this was until I was in, like, high school, but I was at, like, a sleepover and watched, uh, like, Ghost Ship, uh, which is... (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, like, this is pretty mild in terms of, like, gore. There's not a lot of gore. It's not super scary. There's no nudity. It doesn't really feel as taboo as maybe some other things they could be watching. Well, it's from an interesting era where, like, we don't really see this much anymore, where there were movies made for teens that were rated R. And I think this one mostly got the R rating from language, yeah. probably. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of a lot of F-bombs in this movie. But otherwise, only a couple of really bloody kills, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some gore. I mean, more than PG-13 level. But, yeah, it's not not super shocking. They could have gone a lot farther with the gore because you see this guy, you know, he drags you behind the crates and and hacks you with his hook and you see Mm -hmm. him from outside the crates. You know, they really don't they they really don't want to show the gore in this movie that much. It's there. But Mm -hmm. if if Art the Clown had been involved, you would have seen a lot more with the same. Well, yeah, it's certainly not Art the Clown level. Yeah. But what is yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Patrick, what's the basic premise? But anyways, I mean your ba- your basic setup is you've got the Justice League of the 90s essentially. You have Jennifer Love Hewitt, <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah. Ryan Phillippe and Freddie Prinze Jr. I mean, it does not get more 90s like heartthrob all-star lineup than that. Which I'm the hottest surprised. people on the planet. Is it, is it Ryan basically. Phillippe? Is it, or is, I've always said Ryan Philippe, but I don't know if that's right. It's Phillippe. And I think we've been, Didn't we watch a Ryan Phillippe movie? I think for we the have. Show at some point, and we debated this, but it's 
It's Philippi, or I've heard people say Philippe, but oh, okay. not. Yeah, I think well, I, was, I, I, was think I learned that, that from this show, from our show at some point. He was like on his way up. Like he wasn't the star that he became until he did this movie. Um, this was his breakout role. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which kind of surprised me. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, the hottest cast ever assembled. Um, probably. <laughs> Jennifer Love, huge tits, as we used to call her back in the day. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Anyways, these four are all uh, high school friends, and they get really wasted one night and happen to hit and kill somebody with their car on the way home and mm-hmm. make the <laughs> super bright decision of deciding to cover this up so that they can save their promising futures. Um, yeah. But one year later... They start receiving threatening messages that say, I know what you did last summer and find out that somebody, some killer, indeed knows of their sins and is coming after them for it. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple story. And I liked, you know, I, I liked for a slasher, um, which is not, you know, my favorite genre necessarily, but so often you get these slashers, and we've talked about this a lot of times, but you have slashers where the characters just seem like cannon fodder and a lot of cannon fodder. They're just four main characters in this and you have a decent sense at least of who each of them is and I appreciated that yeah I did there's more character development in this or character work I should say than I expected or remembered for for a movie of this caliber mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of nice it's kind of slow and that's that's yeah, I think to its detriment, ultimately, it kind of just kind of it seems like nothing happens in this movie for quite some time. But like other than one kill, which I read was like inserted in post-production because they were like, all right, we can't mm-hmm. go 45 minutes before we kill somebody <laughs> like yeah. it just really takes its time. You get to know the characters and uh, for like a whole, I would say at least 45 minutes before anyone notable actually gets killed. Oh, is the first like the first kill? Is that the one that was inserted? Yeah, fucking yeah. that guy. That name? guy was a Max. the guy from Suicide Kings. Yeah, Johnny Galecki. Yeah. Johnny Galecki. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looking cute as hell in this movie. I gotta say, I have a weird little crush on him because I grew up with him as the the vegan boyfriend on Roseanne. I um, I, I grew up with him in Suicide nice Kings. <laughs> yeah, I know, Chris. <laughs> that is so interesting to hear that they inserted that, like, to kind of goose things up a little bit. Because after the movie was done, I was like, wait, why was he killed? Like, he had nothing to do with this whole situation. Yeah. Well, he was made into kind of a red herring. He's like the first. They, they suspect him because he drove up after they hit. Yeah. Um, what the fuck was his name? David Egan. Something Egan. David Egan. David, I think. A very yeah, normal up name. In- like a name of like a guy you probably know in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, David Egan. Yeah, this one really hit close yeah. home to me. It reminds me of that night I almost hit David Egan. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> with my car. With the, um yeah. Anyway, a little detail I liked, which I um I don't usually watch movies with the subtitles on, but I or, but I did this time, and I I noticed that when they're driving, because because they're, they're all out, you know, it starts sort of like you know Jaws, I guess. They go out to the coast. This takes place in North Carolina. They're having a, a classic beach coast party with the fire and the making out and the drinking liquor, which I wish I'd ever I'd never. I mean, we live close enough to the lakes that I would have expected to maybe go to a party like this in my life, but but I've never been invited to a party like this. Um, 
and I would like to go. So if you're having a, <laughs> as an adult man, you would like to go with, with teenagers <laughs> to a party like if that. You're having, if you're having, if you're having a shoreside party with a bonfire and like it's shot day for night, invite me. I want to be there. <laughs> um, but anyway, I always saw the aftermath as a kid. I would like walk the beach because I lived a block away from Lake Erie, and I would see like a bonfire and like beer cans everywhere. I'm like. Why am I never here when this is going on? So then I'd walk around at night and I just never caught it. So Ryan, they're all, they're, you know, they, they drink. And then Ryan Felipe is too drunk to drive. But so Freddie Prince Jr. drives Ryan Felipe's car. And Ryan Felipe is like spilling liquor all over the car, being a hooligan. And the song on the soundtrack, which I would never have recognized, but it's, it was in the subtitles, is uh, by The Offspring. And it's called DUI. Oh, and then they, then they hit somebody. They hit a man. Um, and you know what? All right, let me say something controversial. Oh boy! No, all please. Right. I don't. Con- all right, I don't. I don't condone it. I don't. <laughs> I don't condone what they did last summer. But I understand <laughs> it, and I think that's to the movie's credit. I think I. I, I might have. I might have preferred a movie where they actually did something a little more heinous. But I guess that would make the characters less relatable. We might be like rooting for them to die more. But they do. I think a pretty good job of making it morally defensible enough that they what they do what they did. Do they? I yeah, I disagree with that strongly. Okay, I, I mean, wholeheartedly I mean, it's, disagree. It's something none of us should ever do in real life. All right, but like, you understand <laughs> you why? Think? Made, you understand why these kids can make the decision because they hit somebody in the middle of the road. It's a complete accident. But Ryan Felipe, it's not a complete has, accident. It is. They're wasted. They're not wasted. Only Ryan Felipe is wasted. Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. is stone sober. He's driving. He's driving. Oh, is he and that's, sober? And, yeah, so that's the yeah. issue. So that's the problem. He's sober, and Ryan Felipe has like spilled booze all over the car, and they're like, right, he drops his bottle down inside onto the driver's seat, so it's all over the right. Oh. And they're like, if if we call the cops, Ryan Felipe is going to jail for manslaughter at least, and they're not going to believe he wasn't driving as his car. They're never going to believe that Frey Prince Jr. was driving. And that he was sober, right. much less that he was sober. So, well, I just assume they were all well, like at least tipsy because they've been no. partying. No, 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 they're all fine. I think. Except did you I, did I, you I, breathalyze I, Freddie Prince Jr. Chris? What is I didn't. It? What what basis um, are you making this? Uh, I'll vouch for him too, though. But uh, but, but Freddie Prince Jr. is the asshole here because he che- he's the one who has the job of checking for a pulse, and I don't know what credentials he has to do such a thing. But they he's the one who determines. Oh, this guy's dead. We killed this man. So once you kill this guy. And he's dead. I, I see how they make the leap of logic where they're like, well, we don't deserve to go to jail for murder, which is what's going to happen because they're going to think we were drinking and driving. So let's just kick him off the cliff. And, you know, he could have just as easily fallen in the ocean. Whatever. I, not something you should do. But I thought it was like an interesting presentation of where you can, like, understand why they did it. But he's actually alive. And <laughs> that was, I think I thought a really delightful moment where he like wakes up as soon as they're about to throw him in the ocean. And they're like, well, we've come this far. Let's just throw him in the ocean anyway. Um, sure. That's where it really crosses the line. But if that man had been dead, I, so the whole movie is Freddie Prince Jr.'s fault is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. I mean, they even like take. throw him in the water and, like oh and this i laughed at because 
the the guy like grabs Sarah Michelle Gellar's like beauty queen crown as he's like going into the <laughs> oh lake, and she's God. like, "My crown!" And then Freddie yes. Prinze Jr. jumps in after the crown, which I just found hilarious. And then the yeah. guy like his eyes pop open again while he's in the water, and Freddie like grabs the crown and he sinks further. And it's just like, no, this is I don't know. I I I just I I couldn't make any excuses for any of this behavior. Also, wait, I, quick, I actually quick. wrote in my notes, I couldn't believe she was wearing the crown. Like, I wrote, like, she's still wearing the crown at a crime scene, and then it immediately <laughs> gets snatched off, and I crossed out my note. But <laughs> so, so, Freddie Prince Jr., Chris argues, is really the culprit here. He's don't, he's the villain. don't pronounce a man dead if unless you're sure. Well, and also, don't like take a fucking bottle of liquor and stand up through the fucking sunroof of your friend's. <laughs> That's of, true. Of well, remember car, that these car. are teenagers. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they look—they're in their clearly in their twenties, but like, <laughs> they're these characters are teenagers, and that character in particular we know has a drinking problem. Like, they make several jokes about it to him, so his outrageous behavior is is expected and expected to cause trouble. He's the asshole. He's the biggest asshole of the group for sure. Oh yeah, he is. But I, I think I was texting Steven this and, and maybe I'm just, maybe my moral barometer got messed up, but I, I, I actually thought, I thought he was like, this guy is like, he's, I get that he's like the stereotypical asshole character, but he's the one making a lot of sense right now. to me. <laughs> House. What, what do you mm-hmm. mean? How so? Well, through a lot of the movie, well, because he, I, I think he's the one who's most aware of what's going to happen if they call the police and everything like that. And and when they're all standing around crying about, oh, we shouldn't do this, he, he's the one who's like, we gotta like, we gotta commit to this now if we're going to commit to it. But he's being completely selfish because he's only worried about his reputation because he thinks he's going to take the fall. Sure. Right. Sure. What would yeah. you do, Stephen? <laughs> Well, if I was that guy, God, I don't someone, know. Someone, else, I is, someone else is driving your car <laughs> drunk. <laughs> You're drunk. Murders um, a guy. I don't know, because if I'm as drunk as he is in this movie, maybe I would murder a guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, listen, obviously, <laughs> it's, hard it's hard to say until you're in this situation. No, uh, we, you should never do what they did in this movie. I think the movie's <laughs> clear about that. Uh, I just, yeah. uh, again, again, I thought there was enough nuance. I don't know situation. if it is, though. That's kind of that was kind of one of my issues in the end was like, I when we get to the end and we get to the killer, even I was like, I suddenly was just thinking, am I really supposed to be rooting against this person? I just, I just had this moment are. of like this person, this killer, this killer is kind of in well, the right yeah, sort of, and I and no, I can't really right. I can't really defend what these kids did. No, the killer is definitely way more wrong than the kids. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, also this will we already we talked about this before we started recording, but we're going to have an interesting time in the spoiler room because frankly, yeah, I did we, not understand the whole fucking twist and who the killer was or why they did what they did. Um, so yeah, things are not exactly what they seem in this situation. We find out later. We can't talk about it now. But at face value, I mean, if they didn't push the guy into the fucking ocean, there's no movie, or it's a very short movie. So oh um, yeah, they do it. They do what they got to do to keep the keep the plot right. Oh, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen in terms of like it being an interesting <laughs> I story. Know. Just I think it's yeah, just the question of how much you can actually invest in. In these characters I, I guess it's it's interesting because it's like the i think the artistry of it is that it's like 
the most horrible thing they could do before before you can say these are horrible people. I, yeah, see, I, I just, I just disagree. I do think they're mostly horrible people. The least oh, horrible, okay. I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. I think the least horrible is Jennifer Love Hewitt. Well, of course, and she's the least interesting to well, me. Well, of course. <laughs> whatever. Okay. Yeah. You know, what? It's it's 1997. It's a uh, 1997. It's a little. Uh, it's a little morality fable. It's what's interesting is it's based on a book, which I think I have not confirmed this, but I think it's more of like a teen. Like a YA it is. book. Yeah. They give um, this which out is- in, in driver's ed class in the 60s and 70s <laughs> and 80s. But yeah, it's based on a based on a book that appears to be a young adult novel, and the author of the book hate hated the movie. Mm. And apparently, like uh, the characters, the teens don't die in the book. And they, they took like a Christopher Pike style thing and made it R-rated, which I find really interesting. Well, I have I have some edits I would make to this film. We can talk about later. Okay, for our favorite segment, Chris. <laughs> yeah, let me let me rewrite this movie later on in the spoiler room. Are you going to make it about nine eleven? No, no, not this time. Okay, it would be it would be pretty fucked up if this were about nine eleven. It, it would mean somebody knew, <laughs> somebody knew, and they did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I did like the atmosphere, I guess, of this movie, or sort of the setting. You know, I'm I'm big on like a fishing village setting, especially oh, for a horror movie. You know, it has some Stephen King vibes, and I thought it did mm-hmm. a good job of summoning that vibe. Especially like even just I loved how the whole town parade is themed around fish. Like there's fish floats and just everything the Croker is seething. Yeah, the Croker Festival. She's the Croker Queen. Uh-huh. <laughs> it all felt pretty, pretty accurate, just a bit elevated, like a little bit jokey, but not too much. I enjoyed that. But pretty believable. Yeah, yeah. And like, it it made me feel, I'm starting to come around on slashers, um, I think. In this movie, revisiting it really made me feel like it, it captured the essence of those great book covers of like YA horror novels from the 80s and 90s better than almost anything I've ever seen. On top of that, a seaside setting. You guys know I I stand that. I love Messiah of Evil. I love um, Dead and Buried, Midnight Mass. This had just such a cool, it was it's a fun, spooky vibe to hang out in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the setting. It's not the best coast, but it's a pretty good one. And <laughs> I, I wish that... Here's my here's my one note on that though. I wish that it had leaned a little more into the goofiness and the fish related paraphernalia because <laughs> there there are some kills that involve blocks of ice, chests of ice, ropes, fishing line uh, hooks, and uh, crabs. And that's all great, but I wish they had just kind of run with that gimmick a little bit more and just made it be like. Everyone who dies is dying in a fishing-related way in this film. That would be great. At, I one, mean, at one point, there's a swordfish on the wall, and no one gets impaled on it, and I thought that was a shame. Missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. Johnny Galecki is fucking boiling lobster or whatever that was when he good. gets killed. That was good. They all get killed with a fish hook. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. not enough That's for pretty me, fishy. That's not enough that's not for enough. me. Doesn't go hard enough for you? Okay. I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. 
I another thing I liked was the uh, the time jump kind of gimmick. It's the boyhood of horror movies. We get a one year later jump pretty soon. It's pretty early in the movie, and then we get another one year later late in the movie. We do, and I like the I like that you can actually see things having notably changed, especially in the first jump. You know, people have gone to college. And both the couples have broken up. There's completely different vibes, basically, between all four of them than there were last summer. I just liked the all the changes that had taken place in that short jump. That's funny, especially because when you see them all at the beginning, the couples are talking about their big plans, how they're going to stay together right. through college. <laughs> right. But, I well, mean, yeah, again, and Sarah I, Michelle I, Geller like lays relatable. out the five-year plan to Freddie Prince. She's like, you know, I'm going to be on a sitcom, and you're going to be the like linebacker for the Cowboys or whatever the fuck, and mm-hmm. like then you're going to impregnate me. We're going to have three kids, and it's like, girl, slow down, yeah, yeah. But I think I think we're supposed to take away that this horrible thing they did last summer has has sort of fractured a lot of these relationships, but. You know, that's just how life is. It happens anyway. It happens yeah. anyway, exactly. You don't have to kill a guy with your car to, no. you know, lose touch after high school. No. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly helps. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's all good. And, and like I said, just the, the amount of time that they put into developing this stuff before anybody dies. And, and like Patrick said, there's there's no real disposable characters here. So... I was actually, as the movie went on, I was like, oh, shit. And I, I'd seen this before, so I, I knew I knew basically who was going to die. But I was like, oh, shit. Like, when someone dies, there's going to be some consequence to that. Because all the all four of these lead actors seem pretty indispensable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there, it does feel like there's real emotional stakes there. I appreciated that, too. And, it, yeah, it makes it all the more shocking when someone does die and you wonder, how do we... How are we going to go forward? It doesn't, I don't think the movie really takes time to grieve anyone's death though. <laughs> no. So I'll add that caveat. It <laughs> really just picks up and moves on immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. But I mean, once, once the top four start dying, it's very quick. And then it's the end of the movie pretty mm-hmm. quick too. Well, cause it takes so fucking long. It takes like an hour and 10 minutes or something to get there. Before we see one of the main four die, which I'm actually kind of boom, 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 which I'm actually kind of okay with because I like, you know, I mean, obviously this is a horror movie that's based on the slasher genre. So so you're expecting to see somebody slash a bunch of people gorily, but I like that it derives horror and, and suspense and intrigue from stuff other than just people being killed in gory ways for, you know, as you all have said, like probably a good hour there's a lot of that going on i like just the creeping dread of we killed a guy and we're going to be mm-hmm. haunted by this shit for the rest of our lives but are going to try to sweep it under the rug like that's just i don't know that's something i would have a nightmare about having done something like this and just like mm-hmm. dealing with the consequences and feeling that guilt hovering around me constantly and mm-hmm. i that really intrigued me and i kind of even enjoyed the just watching them start to try and unravel the mystery. I didn't like the mystery itself that much as it went along, but I liked once they start to receive the, I know what you did last summer notes, them going, all right, shit, what do we do? What can this person's motive be? Should we go to the police? They're probably not going to the police. Oh, we should probably track this guy down on our own. I just kind of liked that. I don't know. It it was still, even though it doesn't have the normal slasher movie engine of like people getting killed every two seconds, uh, it had other stuff that, kept it chugging along and kept me intrigued kept the plot Mm -hmm. momentum going 
for me. I would say, so this is actually what I was going to say. I, I don't think I have to wait to the spoiler room. I'm not really going to spoil anything. But if I were to rewrite the movie, I would just emphasize all that stuff more. Because I thought that was way more interesting than the, it's like, oh, dude. It, it, it seems like it's just really chasing Scream. And it's really chasing the tropes of, of slasher movies from the past. Where you have this killer who... For pretty unnecessarily has the slicker and the hat and the hook and, and whatever. I think it would be scarier if the threat was just there's a guy who knows what we did last summer and knows that we're not going to call the cops and he wants to ruin our life. Yeah. That stuff was all scary. And then when the when the killer is finally revealed, I thought he was very compelling as a human and not this this cloaked person. So I, I, I would have liked to see more of like a Cape Fear sort of thing where he's just kind of antagonizing these kids and trying to ruin their life. And and the way he does try to ruin, I, I didn't think the ways he was trying to ruin his life were very compelling. It was like a good start, but like, you know, he cuts Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair because she's like, <laughs> into she's like a beauty queen. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I understand that that's consequential for her, but I just didn't feel it compared to like, the invisible man when she opens up her architecture portfolio and you feel it. You know? I thought that was a dream at first, her waking up and like tufts of her hair falling out. And then I was like, oh no, wait, the killer really just snuck into her room and like just chopped away at her hair and then left. Mm-hmm. Well, we see the killer sneak into the house before that. Yeah, yeah. true. But it but- seems like he's not there just to, you know, cut some hair. Yeah, so. right. But but that would have been. I think that was a, a, a. The movie was stronger when it was just kind of leaning into like the paranoid stuff and the nightmarish energy, like you were describing. And yeah, uh, and just the slashing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I loved about this the most. Like it's just a very sort of primal fear, and I feel like it could have just wrote on that for for a bit longer and had less of the slashing. Even yeah, I would have loved relatable. to see more of that, like anxiety and shame and dread, and you know, I mean the. The, the series to see about having killed somebody in a drunk driving accident and dealing with it for the rest of your life is Midnight Mass. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I know what you did last summer, a decent review, but go watch Midnight fucking Mass if you haven't already. I haven't seen Midnight Mass, but I will. Along the way of like the, this whole process of the killer, like trying to fuck with them or whatever. The thing that flummoxed me the most was when, Johnny Galecki's corpse, crab-covered corpse, shows up oh my God, with a trunk full of crabs in Jennifer Love Hewitt's car and then disappears, which I was like, is she hallucinating? Was this a dream? Did the killer somehow show up and transport this corpse and a truckload of crabs back out of her trunk before she gets back to it? I, I have no idea what fucking happened. He did. No, he the, the killer did put the shit in there and take it out. Amazing. Like that, in the text of the movie... That happens. That's also the scene where she screams. It's like a meme. There's like a wide overhead shot of her screaming like, what are you going to do now? What's the line that she says? You guys know what I'm talking about? She's like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. And she says it over and over again. I just learned, and I don't know if this is true, but this comes from the mouth of Jennifer Love Hewitt herself. She said that a kid won a contest to direct a scene in the movie. (laughs) And that that was his idea. And she was like, that's fucking stupid. But then they shot it and she was like, yeah, I guess it works. And now it's like this iconic moment. Oh, Wait, like, including let that kid the... direct the whole fucking movie. Wait, what was that's his idea? Yeah. 
Like just the like, it was his, his idea to say that line. Oh, okay. I, thought, I don't know. I don't know about the crab stuff. Oh, I mean okay. that that's like child logic there too. Yeah. So who knows? I need to read more. But I literally just saw an interview with her like right before we started recording, and I'll investigate further wow. and maybe chime in on the Discord. But pretty hilarious. Wow, we that, that was an obnoxious plot point. But again, it's like you know, well, if the bodies left, then they gotta call the police, and once they call the police, it's all over, basically. Mm-hmm. It's it was just so it's so ludicrous to imagine. I mean, because like this happens, she stops her car in the middle of a normal residential neighborhood in broad daylight. It's just so funny to imagine the killer jumping out in his <laughs> scooping car, up those scooping up all the crabs, <laughs> scooping up the corpse and no one noticing. I mean, talk about attracting attention from the cops. It's like, OK, he's good. with it's He's good silly. with the net, man. And, and it's here's hilarious. The thing. So, so this was written by Kevin Williamson, who also mm-hmm. wrote Scream and, and, and many of the Scream sequels. And it's like, I have my issues with how Scream is written, but like this, it's so, it's such, it seems so intentionally bad and rote. Like I actually, the movie I thought of watching this was malignant um, because malignant is like, really people who are more talented than it appears like making a deliberately flat genre horror movie. And that's kind of what's going on here. Like, like the, the, the writer, especially, and like, you know, even like Sarah Michelle Geller, who was doing Buffy the vampire slayer at the time, like they're, they're, they know better material than this, (laughs) but they're just like giving us a, like a straight faced 1980s style slasher movie complete with ridiculous tropes and stupid scenes like crabs disappearing from a car. And it's, it's kind of weird, but unlike malignant, there's no payoff at the end where you're like, Oh, all right, well we're, we're subverting that. It just, it's just very straight all the way through. And it's very kind of weird, weird, weird movie. Wow. I didn't know that Kevin Williamson created Dawson's Creek as well as the vampire diaries. Mm-hmm. There's a reference to it in this movie as yeah. well. Yeah. So they call it like Dawson's Beach, I think. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's where they have their little party and they talk about the hook. We haven't talked about the hook. Like where they're telling, they're talking about urban legends, which was kind of neat because this does immediately call to mind that like classic campfire story, you know, about the couple on Lover's Lane. It, but the thing about that story is, and I found a little thing in Stephen King's Dance Macabre about this. Um, where he uses the hook as a way to illustrate like what he believes are the three different kinds of horror, the three different reactions it can elicit, which are terror, horror, and revulsion. Nobody dies in the hook. And this just goes full on, like, people are getting picked off left and right. Well, depending on the version, and and we hear some of those versions in, in the movie, sure, yeah. depending on the version, people die. But it's interesting how it, ev- it started as a story of terror, which he defines as a story like the monkey's paw, where like the, the lives of the characters are spared. And, and in the 90s, it goes on to just straight revulsion, his mm. third category, mm-hmm. where like people, we've seen it all. We got to take this to the next level. Urban legends where it's a close call have always been the, the spookiest ones to me. Right? Yeah. That's what really gets under my skin, too. It's it's fun if you're, like, hanging out with, you know, you're having some beers or whatever, and you want to watch a movie like this where, like, you know, there's there's plenty plenty of gore and, and no lives are spared. But the stuff that really sticks with me is where, like, they, they just barely got away with it. And, like, how, how does that, you know, haunt you and shape the rest of your life? My, my favorite urban legend, because when I was, like, 
I don't know, in eighth grade, I all my free time I spent on Snopes.com reading <laughs> urban legends. <laughs> And, and, and Snopes was Snopes at that time was just very committed to urban folklore. It was now it's like a fact checking website and they've kind of lost their credibility in my mind it's <laughs> for, for, for various political reasons. But um, uh, they at the at the time, it was just straight up like collecting these these urban legends. And the scariest one was a for me was about a guy walking down the street and a blind man coming up to him asking for his help to deliver a letter. And the guy says, okay, I'll help you and takes the letter and he's going to go off to the address to deliver it. And then he looks behind him for some reason and sees the man has like thrown down his cane and is like sprinting across the street. And he's like, that's kind of weird. Like, maybe I should like turn this over to the authorities. And so he turns mm-hmm. this over to the, he goes like the police instead and they go to the house and they find quote piles of human flesh labeled for sale. <laughs> and they open up the letter and all it says is this is the last one I'm sending you today. Kind of, kind of dumb, but it scared the shit out of me as like an eighth grader. Like legitimately could not tell me sleep. that story at 2 a.m. when I'm stoned and it'll scare the shit out of me like <laughs> I'm an eighth grader. I love that stuff. I will. <laughs> oh boy. Well, should we review it? Yeah. And then talk about this confusing ass twist. Christopher, would you like to go first? Not really, because I'm so torn on what to give this. You always movie. pick Chris first. Yeah, I'll go do first. I? Yeah. Steven can go first. I'll give it. I'll give it a cue. If you haven't seen it, you probably have, but I'm sure some of you haven't. Like, it's pretty, it's a little slow in places. This is a pretty fun movie, and it's got a good vibe. It's got that kind of seaside thing going on we were talking about. It's got pretty, you know, likable characters that are a little bit, their motivations are a little bit more fleshed out than you're used to in your average, say, 80s slasher movie, which this is kind of uh, playing with the tropes of a little bit. And yeah, so it's it's it, it's a good time. It's not serious. It's not really going to stick with you or keep you up late at night. But it's a good, maybe a good party movie, and definitely something that like people still talk about. So if you want to be able to participate in the conversation about it, if you want to be able to talk about Sarah Michelle Geller's hair and her hat, <laughs> um, her crown, you, you got to see it. It's a, it's a stone cold cue. It. All right, Chris, I'm, if you're I'm not ready, ready. No, I'm you're ready. ready. All right. Yeah, I, I think think, I think I have to give it a screw. It. it it's right on the line for me, but I just think this is a very uninteresting movie. There's like nothing. There was nothing for me other than sort of the setting. There was nothing really for me to sink my teeth into on this one. Uh, it's just very wrote maybe deliberately so but just nothing turns the dial if you know the premise of the movie you know everything you need to know to participate in the pop culture conversation i i haven't seen any notable memes about sarah michelle geller's crown or anything like that um, oh, oh my god or the hat, the hat is something else <laughs> Just just didn't do a lot for me, and there's just so much stuff out there that is interesting. I feel like it's hard to justify spending your time on this unless you're just interested in the time capsule aspect of it because I think it I think it is uh historically significant and it was like sort of the first m- movie that you know it's like um uh the the scream came out, but 
that doesn't necessarily make a slasher resurgence. This is the movie that comes out and does well, where everyone's like, all right, we're going to make 30 of these movies in the next five years. That's true. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting for that, just to see what like a 90s slasher, it's really the, the, the epitome of a 90s slasher movie, much more so than Scream, I think. Um, so you can watch that for that reason, but that's the only reason. Screw it. Patrick. I'll give it a cue it to... Um I enjoyed it. I, it's not a perfect uh, film by any means, but um, I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons that I've discussed already. Um, you know, definitely time capsule factor for sure. I don't know. I'd been curious about it for a long time. I frankly knew nothing about the premise other than what the title implies. I like, I didn't know what they did last summer. Um, so, <laughs> oh, wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was interesting to finally have this uh, cultural experience that I missed as a sheltered child in the nineties. So I enjoyed it. Well, we are going to go down to the spoiler room and talk about who's under that raincoat. Who's been doing all these killings and what's up with Sarah Michelle Geller's hat. We might even talk about that too, but before we go down there, uh, I will remind you as always to check out our website, every horror movie on netflix.com. Uh, we've got our list of every movie that we've ever reviewed out there, or at least a lot of them. Uh, Chris has made a New Year's resolution of catching up on that list and fixing the website. So soon enough, it'll be up to up to snuff. We've also got a merch store out there where you can get T-shirts and other paraphernalia with every horror movie on Netflix art on them. Um, also, follow our social media. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And while you're at it, head to your podcast provider of choice, Leave us a review, leave us a, uh, leave us a subscribe, tell your friends about us. Uh, you know, it's good. It, it, the, the, the ratings, the reviews, they help people find the show and the word of mouth helps as well. All right. You guys ready to uh, go down to the, what do they call that on a, uh, you ready to go below decks to the spoiler below decks? Is that, is that what they call it on a, on a ship below no, deck? No, that was below a, deck? that was a miss. That was a, Yeah. You're close, but not not quite. Well, <laughs> these ships these enlighten me, Titanic boy. I, I, w- I would call it maybe the hold is what you're thinking of. The hold below decks is an expression, though. I'm gonna look it up on the way down. There. You go below decks, but when you're the, you go below deck, but when you're there, you're in the hold. Well, we're going below deck to the spoiler hold. All right, I'm gonna we'll, go to the hold. Right. we'll the, see you there. We got it. Right, we are below decks in the spoiler hold. Below decks is—I think—that's going to be my cup of all things sign. No one, no one, let me forget. Everyone, remember what I did last episode. <laughs> but we're here to spoil everything about. I'm literally googling this right now. Why do I? Why did I think below decks? Where did I get decks from specifically? I mean, below deck is an expression. I don't know where I got. I like, never the heard plural decks from. plural. That's weird that is weird i don't know where i came up with that the ship has one deck yeah well anyways we're down here to spoil everything about i know what you did last summer so someone please spoil this for me because i don't know what the all right so here we learned that the guy that they killed was named david egan he himself was in a car accident a few years ago with a woman named susie susie's her name susie yeah yeah and susie died susie died david lived and couldn't live with the guilt. Couldn't fucking live with the guilt. 
which we learned from wait who's missy what's missy's relationship to all this again i forget brother sister sister of the dead man egan david egan's sister is missy and Hesh. oh right 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 yes who yeah. who lives a a how would you describe she lives a a a, a jumbo lifestyle or no what am i thinking of gumbo a gumbo lifestyle <laughs> She's very waif-like, and she kind of lives. Wait, what in, does in that mean? Even what is the gumbo? gumbo? The gumbo lifestyle, right? She's all, she's like, it. she's like always doing like a, a, a like a seafood meal, and oh, she's hanging oh. out with them crawdads. She, oh, she's always yeah. like co- smoking a crawdad. Oh, okay. Wielding a knife threateningly when she doesn't mean to be threatening. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't afraid of her for a minute because Anne Hesh, not an intimidating character really in in this movie anyway oh i found her uh, well not intimidating but she was she she had seen some shit she was a wild yeah. card yeah she's grieving so so here's what i think happened Susie dies in the accident when david egan is driving david egan we see him at the beginning of the movie in that that ridiculous and famous helicopter shot that's over the opening titles where the helicopter goes over the whole ass ocean. Like it's, it starts in fucking Morocco and goes over the whole (laughs) ass ocean (laughs) to North Carolina. And then it goes up the cliff and you see this man sitting there in a pretty close shot for a helicopter shot of this guy looking at his locket. Um, and drunk looking at the fireworks from 4th of July. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I guess, he David Egan is actually murdered, thrown into the sea by Susie's dad. Yes. Who it blames him for the accident and knows that he goes there on the anniversary of her death to And then reminisce. they hit him with the car. Right. So he, he survives. Exactly. So he kills David Egan and then he walks across, he's going back and he gets hit by the car by our, our teenagers. So so the the person we've killed is not innocent David Egan, but was in fact a killer even before they hit him with the car and oh. killed the real David Egan. And then I mean it was the same night, so when they see the news reports, they assume they killed David Egan. But does it look like the same guy? I mean, you see his face in a close up in the water when like like they're doing the crown thing. It's he's so mutilated. Yeah, they don't know what David Egan looks like. They don't know who the guy is. No, but I'm talking more about from the audience perspective, because I I guess you don't see David very well in the opening shot. I watched this in two chunks. so I didn't even remember what the guy underwater, like in the close up with the crown thing looked like. Well, and they wouldn't know. No, it works. And also like, I think the locket he had is like on the side of the road because you see him like looking at the locket and then you see the locket go down with the guy and you're like, well, it's gotta be the same guy. Well, no, how could we have known that a third party had come in and killed him and then taken the locket Mm. in the interim? So, I mean, as far as twists go, pretty clever twists. Um, there's a l- also a little bit of a stupid misdirection where David Egan has a has a friend named named Billy Blue. That was weird. Uh, that was bullshit. <laughs> that was pure nonsense. Yeah. So that boat in the yeah at yeah. the at the end of the movie, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt can see that Freddie Prince Jr.'s boat is named B- Billy Blue, and so it's played. Oh, like, is oh, that Freddie's been the killer the whole time? Oh no, you yeah. mean Ryan Phillippe? No, no, Freddy's book. No, Freddy. Oh, that's right. I mixed those two up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. They yeah. look like the same. I mean, actually, they don't at all, but I don't know. They're they just like generic. They're just like generic looking like heartthrob boys. 
I don't think I don't think um, Freddie Prince Jr. is very attractive. But what do you guys say? I find him very attractive. Well, I did at a time like this movie was. I have to imagine it was very sexually confusing for me because I didn't know I was gay. And again, these are like the four hottest young people on the planet. Yeah. It's like a, a, a buffet of, <laughs> of sexuality in this. And I was very much, I didn't know, like, am I, do I, do I like Ryan Phillippe? Do I like Frank Prince? Maybe it's okay to like both. All right. <laughs> Well, is this the movie where Freddie Prince Jr. and and Sarah Michelle Gellar met and fell in love? Yes, that's that's cute. They're still married, aren't they? Oh yeah, they're they're together forever. They're in like Lifetime movies together or something. It's like the funny thing about this is like none of these people have really their careers haven't really lasted because they were hired because they were hot. Well, yeah, I was wondering about that. I was thinking about Sarah Michelle Gellar. I was like, does she even do movies anymore? I don't know. She's like the queen of Lifetime. I feel like oh. How Did This Get Made has done like three or four of her Lifetime Christmas movies at this point. They've wow. all had, they've all had, it's fun. They've all had career. They've all made careers out of being hot, even into their adult life. Yeah. I think. Ryan Felipe is like playing hot dads and, and Bob Lee Swagger on, on USA. And um, Jennifer Love Hewitt had that show or that series or that movie about being a hooker. Yeah. God, the only thing this movie is missing is Devin Sawa. Dude, Jennifer, I mean, sorry, no, Sarah Michelle Gellar had two roles in 2022, one of them in Clerks 3, but they were her first film role since 2009, or at least according to Wikipedia. Oh, no shit. Maybe I'm mixing her up with oh, I'm mixing her up with Melissa Joan Hart. Oh Sorry, yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. She's she's all queen these of, fucking uh, three name women from the '90s. You got mm. your Sarah Michelle Gellar, Melissa Joan Hart, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Mary Kate Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> it was a a legitimate child at the time this movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway wow wow we okay. anyway yeah so so the actual killer he's he's revealed and and this is what and i thought first of all <laughs> and i had this thought the first time i watched this movie a few years ago uh he dressed like Ernest p Worrell. <laughs> oh my god yes i wrote down this is my favorite Ernest movie <laughs> it's distracting it's a little it's a distracting first, at first i thought my first thought when we see his face is holy shit is dennis hopper in this movie <laughs> and then immediately i realized it wasn't clocked his outfit and thought it's Ernest. I, I wish I, i'm not gonna Watson, attempt which is a great name i'm not gonna attempt uh earnest impression uh because i don't think i can pull it off but the the thought is the thought that counts and you guys are welcome to try <laughs> i've never heard anyone attempt an earnest impression he's got such a such a unique vibe. I don't know how you'd pull that it's, off. It's hard. I, I think I could get 80% of the way there, but not enough to go public with it. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, but I thought he was he was scary. He's scary without the slicker in the hat as just this normal-ass 
man. I thought he projected way more menace on that boat at the yeah. end than he did. Well, he's like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Like, yeah, he's exactly. Got kind of a similar sort of. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where was this guy all movie? This would have been so fun if it was just this guy like pulling up his car like Robert De Niro and talking shit to these kids. And you yeah. know, and then and then you like they could be like, all right, enough is enough. We have to go to the cops. And then like that, she sees him at the at the parade, and he's like laughing his ass off, slapping the back of the sheriff that would be great or he's riding under the parade float the whole time and pops up at the end to kill her <laughs> yeah I, I didn't i don't know if that's the vibe but yeah well it, that's just another fun thing from cape fear that robert De Niro oh does. is it shit i'm sorry i, I didn't didn't catch that my bad yeah there's a scene where he's like <laughs> I can't even say it. It's just so ridiculous. The Simpsons parodied it, but he, Robert De Niro is like writing under, um, uh, what's her name? Who's the actress in case? Juliet, uh, Lewis. Yeah, Juliet Lewis. He's like clung under like the body of her car for a length of time. And I do not like, I, I've that. actually only wow. seen, I've only seen about a half hour of the Scorsese Cape Fear. Um, I saw the original with Gregory Peck, and, and that's a masterpiece. That's Cape Fear, folks. Yeah, I didn't need the Masked Man. I mean, it's not even a Masked Man, but, you know, Mystery Man, Hooded Killer kind of Hat-Man. bullshit. Didn't need that. Yeah. Hat Man Crothers. Yeah. Well, and it's okay. So it's a fishing town. So there's a shitload of people wearing these slickers. Which I thought I'm like, that that's was funny. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. Like, I feel like that's that's like one of Kevin Williamson's few little like tricks up his sleeve in what is otherwise a pretty rote movie or like i think that's supposed to be kind of campy well but that's yeah, and, such and, and, a common what? trope i mean he does that in scream all the fucking time like you even get that in halloween where somebody will be wearing the fucking coveralls i don't know that mm, that that just true. seems tropey that just seems par for the course for this sort of thing to me no, i thought it was a little true. wink in this movie though because we get that we get the scene where ryan phillippe thinks he sees the killer chases him down tackles the fuck out of him and it's like an old guy having a fucking the poor man's max von (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's no more it's no more winky than it is in in halloween or any of these other movies so i know i I, i'm actually i I agree with patrick point to patrick because i was thinking the same thing that like i thought i really got a kick out of this and because because when she's like oh he's wearing a slicker i'm like everyone in this town's wearing a slicker and then like freddie prince says it he's like everyone's wearing a slicker in this city that doesn't narrow it down but yeah it's, it's nothing new so yeah. can't give the movie credit for that yeah unfortunately oh well uh anyway new, it's weird that like the common the common story about this movie i learned today is untrue that this was a film Kevin Williamson had written before Scream. Scream took off, and then it, he was able to sell it. Not true. That was a different script. That was teaching Mrs. Tingle or killing Mrs. Tingle, as it was originally called. So it's like baffling to me that he wrote this after Scream, like really putting his reputation on the line, basically undoing everything that he had done with Scream, with a movie that is like completely not self-aware as far as it comes to dealing with horror tropes. Mm-hmm. It's a big miss on that level. Well, anyway, anyway, so, you know, a final, final battle, uh, in, in, ensues. Um, Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Felipe have been killed, uh, horrendously. And so has, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's sister who works at the family department store with her. Uh, and a few other Elsa, people who got Elsa. in the way. 
Yeah. <laughs> a few other people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, like a local cop, etc. This guy's kind of just killing everybody at this point. Jennifer Love Hewitt uh, and Freddie Prince Jr. end up on a boat. Freddie Prince Jr. gets thrown off the boat pretty early on. and Becomes it, wet Freddie. <laughs> becomes wet oh. Freddie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then uh, in, in the time it takes him to climb back up the net and get back on the boat, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt has, has, you know, been chasing this guy. Wait, uh, so has, Freddie has, just identified himself as Billy Blue, like, to cover his tracks? Like, his, he was just like, I'll just yes. say my name is the same as my boat, because no one's ever seen the name of my boat, and we'll draw a connection between these two things in this small fishing town. Because this was years, well, yeah. this was years ago, and 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 Hesh lives out in the sticks, so he went out and visited her because he felt bad about killing the guy years ago, and said, "Oh, my name's Billy Blue." Yeah, well, it was like it was it was like the same summer, I think. Mm. So months. Ago. It was like the same. So last, yes, yeah, like one one year ago. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, but yeah, kind of a pointless red herring. Best part of this this sequence is when she's in the hold, and I I didn't think the ice looked very realistic. <laughs> I was gonna bring that up. I was like, was that supposed to be it was ice? Actually, that was plastic as fuck. I read this today. It was gelatin. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. It didn't look right. They should have used anything else, plastic or dare I say it, real ice. Um, well, they were they were interested in her comfort. I think so. It's nice they didn't use real ice. Anyway, um, everyone who's been killed in the whole movie, it, the, the corpse is in the ice, and she's uncovering them one after another. Like, um, what's another? What's the other movie that does this? I've seen this before. In ice, specifically? Not in ice, but in, like, sand, or, like, it's the end of the movie, and, like, oh, here's everybody that's been killed the whole movie. Here's where all the bodies are Oh, stored. I feel like that's a billion slashers. That's such a trope, and I can't name one of them, goddammit. Yeah, it's a little but frustrating. it's definitely a thing. Yeah, it's definitely thing where the bodies start falling. It reminds me a little bit of um, like Poltergeist with the skeletons in the pool. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's a good little and, bit. And I think this is the first. I think this is the first time she realizes that like all her friends are dead, which was kind of sad. But she's too scared to do anything about it. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. eventually climbs back up the net. Is it? And he. I mean, oh wait, what? she didn't see Ryan get killed, but I mean, she saw right because Johnny Galecki in the back of her trunk. Sure, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she didn't see Sarah Michelle Geller or, or Ryan die. Yeah. Um, anyway, Frey Prince Jr. Um, the, the, the joins the fight, and they are able to get our our killer caught in a line and they tr- on a motorized reel, and he ends up getting carried up, and his hand is cut off like Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, then he's 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 flung out on the boom arm of the ship and cast off into the water, and this time he's got to be dead, right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's no. not like this is the exact same circumstance he was left in a year ago <laughs> that he survived. <laughs> well, so then Jennifer Love Hewitt's back in college. Yep, and I like this she, part. This is good. This is right up my alley. She okay. Well, I have something interesting. To note about this, I, I also I read it too. But you, I, I read that too. Go ahead. And go okay. <laughs> so she she gets a note that looks ominously like the 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 note that kicks things off in in the beginning of the film. It turns out she's being invited to a pool party. She goes to take a shower. She sees I still know 
um, kind of painted with the finger on the on the the, the whatever the condensation of the glass and a figure, assuming you know it's the rain slicker killer, jumps forward through the glass, cut to black. Turns out that is completely ignored in the sequel, <laughs> even though it follows that character. <laughs> oh, so we do away with well, Ben Willis or whatever his name is entirely, and I still know what you did last summer. Oh, he's got to come back, right? Or wait, what are you? I think he's in it. What do you mean by? Oh, you mean it? It doesn't pick up on her being attacked in the shower, right? Yeah, it's like that never happened. Mm. But she has like early in the second movie, she's like in class and has a dream that she's encountered the killer again. But like at the end of this movie, we assume I assume the killer got her. Yeah, she's in a fucking towel alone in the shower. He's jumping through the glass. It's a nightmare. It's it's a nightmare. She didn't actually get invited to a pool party. Well, it's a totally different thing in the sequel, though, too. It's like a different nightmare. Well, so, that, she's uh, having a lot of nightmares about this. I don't know. I, 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 I like that I I'm explaining the sequel to you, having never seen the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I've <laughs> never seen the sequel. Um, Only having read the first paragraph of the Wikipedia plot summary for it to see if she, how they wrote their way out of that. You just really <laughs> understand Jennifer Love Hewitt's character very well after watching this. I do. Yeah. Well, that's that's the movie. Now we know what they did last summer. We still don't know what we did last summer, but that's you know neither here nor there. And we'll there. still know what they did last summer. In fact, we'll always know this- what they did. I, I, I also love sequels that have unusual like naming conventions instead of just like I know what you did last summer too. I just I love that the sequels are I still know what you did last summer, and I'll always know what you did last summer. Or my favorite is sometimes they come back, and then the sequel is sometimes they come back again and then i think the third one is sometimes they come back for more (laughs) (laughs) that's great well i i think this is prime for a reboot i think there's enough here that could be it could be done done again and uh if i shocking that there has series oh that's right yeah i think it's supposed to be good ish maybe i've heard and it's probably produced by blumhouse just gonna go out on a limb i can (laughs) see blumhouse really uh Making some trash out of this. Maybe maybe uh, we'll get trying their best. Maybe we'll get I forgot what you did last summer. Oh amnesiac Ben Willis. Yeah. Oh, it's like Jennifer Love Hewitt and she's like she's like sixty-five and like she, like Alzheimer's is, is starting to hit and she's forgetting everything that ever happened to her, including <laughs> this pivotal moment in her life. It stars Julianne Moore, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> okay well maybe we'll get uh, that someday ben willis is not in i'll always know what you did last summer but he is and i still know what you did last summer. good yeah Wait, i'll always, I'll know, always know so that's the third one yeah yeah but it's it was like straight to video and made like 20 years after the fact like it's a it's a cash in well, you this was a talk- cash in <laughs> to begin with. I mean, what, what are we talking, talking about, about here? This, this one has artistic poor, integrity. This movie yeah. was made, like, from my understanding, this movie was made so that the studio could say, from the creators of Scream. or From the from creators, the creators of, Scream. of Scream. And then Wes Craven sued because he, he didn't write Scream, but he directed it, and he didn't like that somebody else was taking credit for his success. And it sounds like it was a whole mess. It probably continues to be so. Blumhouse was not involved in the I know you did what you did last summer series, which is frankly shocking. Was it the CW? Mm, Amazon. Prime. Oh. I'm gonna have to listen to the trailer for this movie just to hear that that '90s trailer guy. 
talk about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It's I a know good trailer. What you did last summer. I can hear it in my head. <laughs> I want it to be John Larroquette, though. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got paid in weed for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, I want to know what we're going to do next episode, and Stephen is going to tell us. All right, next episode we are going to watch the 2018 end film. I feel like that's early for an end film, at least for a horror end film called The Open House. Following a tragedy, a mother and her teen son move to a relative's vacant vacation home where eerie and unexplained forces conspire against them. I bet there's going to be escrow in that one. I hope so. Oh, it stars... fans love it. Chris, it stars chicken shit clay. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) Who's chicken shit clay? That's the real Star of Chris's favorite end series, 13 Reasons Why. Mm. Dylan Minnette. Yeah, I watched 13 Reasons Why season one in about 2018. And uh, this is at the height of his popularity. And yeah, so this movie was definitely made by an algorithm. Uh, and it, it held my attention. I gave that show my full attention. And it had its its highs and it had its lows. But the one thing that just, it, just Clay just, I, I can't, don't even get me started. There were so many decisions he should have made. He didn't make. We'll get you started in two weeks, baby. Don't worry about it. Okay. Chris has Chris we'll has explained. I'm pretty sure the entire plot of this show to me via like text where I am at some point back in the day, and he would always call Clay Chicken Shit Clay. Chicken Shit Clay just <laughs> has one job. He has one job, and it's to listen to these damn tapes and then make a decision. And instead, he listens to like half a tape at a time, and then goes off around town starting shit. And every time he starts shit, someone's like. You need to listen to the tapes, Clay, and it's a it's a knockout blow. He can't come back to them after that because he he doesn't know what's on the tapes. So he, he won't just go home and listen to the goddamn tapes. <laughs> this sounds like me trying to watch every horror movie on Netflix. Yeah, I think like halfway through, I got to take, I got to take a break. <laughs> I have opinions. I yeah, think exactly. instead of watching, reviewing, and discussing the open house next episode, we should just let. Chris, like, tell the entire story of 13 Reasons Why to us. That's probably what it's going to devolve into. Every time he fucking leaves the house, he gets into hilarious... <laughs> he ends up having... He gets peer pressured into, like, rock climbing with no rope. And, and it's like, how did what? we end up in this situation? And, the and fuck then is he's this like, show about? Like, it's I about thought a, I knew, but apparently it's... It's, like, it's about glorifying teen suicide. <laughs> But it's okay because they filmed a 20 second clip that runs at the beginning of every episode with the <laughs> cast. That's like, if you're thinking of suicide, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, it we'll... a little like my line of work anyway. Because, because um, I, because I know, I don't know if this is staying in the episode or coming out, but, um, because I, I work in, in education and all the superintendents put out a letter that was like, this is a serious show that glorifies suicide. And I was like, I, I, you know, me being like the artist minded person, I'm like, Oh, it can't, can't be glorifying suicide that bad. And I watched this show with a very skeptical lens. I'm like, no, this show is like the coolest thing you can do is kill yourself <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> as God. a teenager. So what a mess. Well, next episode we'll be discussing the open house and probably 13 reasons why a little bit as well looking forward to it in the meantime 
Go to the website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Go to the social media, Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, and leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. Go to our fabulous Discord, which we'll link to in oh, the show yeah. notes. And if you want to read along to Stephen Graham Jones's uh, novel from last year, My Heart is a Chainsaw, with me and a few other fine folks, we'd love to have you in the discussion. Hell yeah. All right, should we get out of here, guys? Yeah, man, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's jump ship. All right, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Steven. And we will see you next summer.